Blog Talk Radio. It's February 26th. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living radio show, where Progressives for Change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and David Fillion, with a special guest joining us tonight from Local Union 9, President Todd Treader. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members in the interest of the members. Having said that, we certainly hope everyone stayed safe and enjoyed this past week. Before we start, may we please observe a moment of silence in the memory of Bob White, president, past president of the Canadian Auto Workers. Thank you. More about, about Brother White uh, later from David uh, Fillion in the show. <clears throat> Our announcements. First announcement is, after being locked out for 292 days, the Honeywell members, represented by UAW Local 9 and UAW Local 1508, have approved their agreement and will be returning to work. Team Working for a Living continues our support for them as this was a very difficult vote. Uh, We'll have more from Todd Treader right after our email segment. We again want to remember that this is Black History Month, just filled with rich history from many people uh, that, that many people will find very interesting. Jeff will have a little more on that later in the show. There was a member stabbed in a plant last week. The person who did the stabbing has turned himself in. Least we forget, many of these manufacturing facilities that we represent are the equivalent of a small city with many of the same problems. Enough said about that. Our fourth announcement, many legislatures have proposed legislation that would criminalize public protests. These proposals are likely to violate the U.S. Constitution, and of course there is a watchdog group out there called the American Civil Liberties Union, otherwise known as the ACLU, that exists for the sole protection of the Bill of Rights. Stay tuned for more on this issue from them. Number five, Team Working for a Living would like to welcome the Rush, R-U-S-H, truck drivers to the UAW as they are now amalgamated in Local Union 3000. Our sixth announcement tonight, Michigan state and local wages have gone from 13th in the U.S. to 37th, 13th to 37th since 1992. I must say that the Meridian Township supervisor, my supervisor, aptly commented to this post by saying, solidarity is the only way. Youth don't even realize that we're reliving our pre-union past. Team working for a living would add to that. These stats and the resultant comment are true even as once strong unions continue to exist. Okay. And that is the real tragedy. Uh, Announcement number seven, I'd like to remind elected union officials with emphasis to local union officials, you actually take an oath to uphold the rules and the laws of the country uh, and the union. You should take time to learn or at least be able to reference such rules. For if you shun these rules and fail to administer them properly, it is quite simply a violation of your oath of office and subject to the provisions outlined in the UAW Constitution. On Saturday, the 25th, uh, the... DNC leadership met in convention, and uh, the UAW supported Keith Ellison for chair of the DNC. Uh, The uh, former Secretary of Labor, Tom Perez, was actually elected to the DNC. He's the chair now. Again, we get it wrong. The UAW 
has gotten this wrong. I don't know if we've lost our authority, we've lost our ability to form coalitions, or we just don't know what we're doing. Uh, I must tell you, forming coalitions with the other unions uh, should have been done, and therefore we wouldn't have been you know, barking up the wrong tree, so to speak, on this issue. Uh, it just seems to be something really lacking. So that announcement uh, had to be made. <laughs> Our team in the UAW didn't get it right once again. So, However, we uh, will extend uh, the uh, congratulations to former Secretary, now DNC Chair, Tom Perez. Good luck. A lot of work to do. All right. Um, and uh, that's the end of the announcements. We had one late email, um, I guess because of the weather last week. You know, everybody was out enjoying it. It's been pretty nice in the Midwest. And we uh, got an email late this afternoon. Uh, so it said, my family heard the president of Local Union 9 will be on tonight's show. We're really looking forward to hearing what he has to say, and we will be telling everyone <laughs> Uh, so that's from Donna in Ohio, uh, and so we'll uh, hopefully uh, get a chance to uh, hear from uh, Todd Treader in a, in a few minutes, and we will uh, keep him uh, in the wings, so to speak. And I, I don't see him in this. I'm looking at the switchboard right now. I don't see him. Uh, we're looking for him here in a few minutes. I did tell him. It'll be after our email around uh, 10 minutes after 7. So uh, with that, let me bring on the uh, other co-hosts here. And let's bring uh, David Fillion on first tonight. A little change up. Hi, David. How you doing? Good, Larry. How are you tonight? Pretty good. Been kind of busy all week. Uh, and, uh, it's, you know, all Sundays are always pretty busy in preparation for the show. So as you know. Um, so having said that, uh, we'll bring on Jeff Brown. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Leroy. Hi, David. Hi, Hi Jeff. Hi, Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good, good week? Uh, very busy week for the second week in a row. We are um, doing some very good work. Adding to our caucus, and just I've been busy, and it's all good. Oh, good. Good. I know you've been pretty busy. I know uh, uh, some of your projects had my typewriter going pretty good over here, too. So it's uh, uh, always a pleasure to serve the membership by and through you. Uh, so it's an honor to do that for you. Jeff, and I know you're uh, to assist you in some of your your uh, endeavors. It's been been interesting. I thought you might find that one post a little little interesting, or that one announcement tonight a little interesting as well. So, yes, yes. yeah. My, well, my motto uh, is go ahead. my motto now is it's the membership stupid kind of uh, take off on Bill Clinton's. Uh, model when he ran in 1992 when he had it's the economy stupid so mm -hmm. yeah. doing it all for the membership doing it all for the yeah. membership agreed uh, while we're waiting on uh, uh, our brother Treader if he can make it tonight we're hoping that he can make it he's, uh, he's still not in the switchboard just yet we got a lot of people in the switchboard so it's I'm kind of having to watch a number of the the uh, uh, phone numbers that show up in the switchboard here, so they're not tagged with somebody's name necessarily, so I'm keeping an eye out for him here. So we'll see him when he comes in. Um, so, uh, David, you got anything going on this week that was, you know, besides your regular report here uh, you're, that you want to talk about? Um, no, not much going on for me. I still remain to I remain um, stuck with this uh, virus that I picked up. Um, doesn't want to let go. Um, it's getting old. Yeah. What do you think about our 
our union endorsing the wrong guy again. Um, it's nothing that I wouldn't expect. Um, they've missed about on uh, just about every endorsement um, made. Um, yeah. It's no guess to anybody. I supported Bernie Sanders for president. And uh, I remain disappointed in um, our leadership. Um, in the past, um, the Clintons, um, they had a dismal um, history when they were in Arkansas and he was governor there. They supported right to work, and they also broke a UAW strike at a plastics plant. Um, Bill Clinton provided the corporation with, I believe it was $300,000 to extend the strike so that they could hold out longer. Um, that nearly put that company into bankruptcy. And the U.S. or the AFL president in Arkansas at the time, he had nothing good to say about the Clintons. Um, so I'm pretty disappointed that Hillary Clinton was endorsed by us. Well, we can go back and count the things. I mean, we sure sure worked hard to get him elected to president. But we can go back and look that he didn't take on the issue of uh, scab replacements so that we could overturn that law. And that was in the early 90s. Certainly he, he signed NAFTA and he signed Global Agreement on Tax and Tariff exactly a year later. Then later in his term, he repealed Glass-Steagall. Four things that I believe are haunting us and yet to come and haunt us even greater in the future. So we'll see. I don't know if Todd had a problem or not or if he just couldn't make it tonight. He's not here yet, but we'll keep an eye out for him. Why don't we go ahead and start? Uh, uh, Jeff, do you want to start with your report? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it short while we're waiting for uh, Mr. Todd to call in. Um, this is our last show for the year on Black History Month. There's been some very good, uh, a lot of news came out this week. Uh, for those who don't live in Detroit, um, we lost a very powerful businessman in Mike Gillich. Mike Gillich um, is the owner of Little Caesars Pizza, Detroit Tigers, in the Detroit Red Wings. Um, he did a lot for the town city. He rebuilt the entertainment center downtown. He owns the Fox Theater and a lot of other properties in the Detroit area. Um, he once tried out for the Detroit Tigers, but he lost a job to a another player who happened to happens to now be in the Hall of Fame, this Hall of Fame, and Tari Derringer. Um, he will be missed by all. He was a great man. He gave back to the community. And it wasn't known until this week that he paid Rosa Parks rent for decades before she passed. So we lost the legend, a good man because he gave so much back to the city, and he will be missed. Um, I posted a couple of stories. Both of them are very long, so I'll um, let people find it on our Facebook page and read them. One is about um, the, uh, Reverend called Christopher Rush. He opening the first African Methodist church in 1853, um, which was in New York. And what had happened to that property was in 1857, that whole thing, whole area was 
torn down. It's just church and other people around it in order to make it uh, Central Park. Everybody knows what Central Park is in New York, but it was the home of Reverend Rush's church. So you can check that out, whole story out on our Facebook page. And then we have a really long history with a Dodge plant here in Detroit area. It's made the news several times throughout its history. Um, the last one being somewhere in the early 70s, I believe. The majority of the workers were African American. The bosses were all white. And they kept abusing the workforce by speeding up the line, cutting the heads. And finally, one, one day, they, they walked out. Wildcat strike, it got so bad. And it's further known as the Dodge Lynch Road incident. You can find it on on our page as well. Um, they walked out on strike. And our union, our international union, forced these people back to work. They were carrying baseball bats, guns, whatever it took to get these gentlemen back working on the line. Um, just goes to show that our, our union leadership for decades has not supported its members as it is getting worse every day since then. So you can find that story too. It's a really long one. It's on our page. Please take time to read it. And um, when this team gets elected, we will be making a lot of changes in how we conduct business. not going to be the same old routine as it has been for the last 20, 30 years. We will make the changes needed to support the membership. Get the power back to them. And um, that's what we promise to do. That's what I have, Leroy. Um, I said Mr. Illich will, will really be missed because he did so much for the city of Detroit. Sorry about Leroy. Hello? Okay, um, Jeff. Um, just got a message that uh, Leroy's on the telephone. Um, okay. So he'll be back with us shortly. You had some interesting things going on this week that you've been busy with. Um, Yeah, we uh, we had our union meeting last Sunday. It's the first time I've been to a meeting in a long time. They're setting the dates for our next elections. And it was standing room only in the, in the uh, hall. They wanted to propose our election dates in April, which is a violation of Article 38 in the Constitution where it states elections will be held in May or June. I stood up at that meeting and read that part of the Constitution. Um, Then it was, the recommendation was then turned into a motion and it passed by two votes. We should have called for a division of the House because um, we kind of think that the count was not fair of the show of hands. I have put in an appeal to our local. I'm sending my appeal to regional director of Region 1A and Mr. Dennis Williams. There also is 
another coworker of mine putting in a second appeal. And it's going to be a little bit, but I do plan on filing Article 31 charges against our president for entertaining that illegal um, motion because it did violate the Constitution. And that I can't stand for. No, a lot of people after the meeting. No one should stand for wrongdoing, Jeff. So, um, Right. Thanks for, for covering there a little bit. Uh, we do have Brother Todd Treader, President of Local Union 9, that represents the Honeywell workers in the queue here. Please welcome to the Working for a Living radio show, UAW Thank you. Union 9 Thank President, you. Todd Treader. Hi, Todd. Hi, how's it going today? Good, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, you guys had a you had a, a vote yesterday. It's pretty uh, uh, much of a milestone vote for for your local union. It's, uh, I mean, you know, and given some of the history of your union, you actually had a sit down strike before the uh, famous sit down strike in Flint in 1936 and seven. You folks had one a little earlier, so you have a rich history of unionism at your facility and in your local union. So it was uh, certainly a milestone to be locked out for 292 days and have this vote yesterday. You want to tell us a little bit and listeners about, uh, you know, what what your thoughts on and how it went and, and uh, just, you know, update the, the listeners, if you would, please. Yeah, uh, you know, as you said, 292, yeah, we were locked out, you know, May 9th of 2016 after we voted a, a offer down that, had huge concessions in it. Um, we negotiated a few months. Uh, we never did take anything back to a vote until November. Uh, in, in May, we voted down by a 90% vote. November, when we got some movement on insurance, health care, to, to put in some caps so they just couldn't raise uh, raise it without, you know, we had minimum caps in there. So uh, we voted it down at that time, 70% vote. Um, they tried pushing us to take another vote before December. It was kind of brought to us. Uh, the bargaining committee and myself met. And we decided not to take it back to a vote as they didn't move on anything. And uh, and we didn't meet. At, so since November, we, we didn't really meet with the company for four months. And we met with them last Tuesday uh, in Chicago. Uh, we had some key issues that our members had brought to us in our meeting in uh, December. And in January, we put those key issues together in a proposal to Honeywell. And, and when we met with them, they moved on. They probably moved on 80% of them without even in fighting us. Uh, a few of them we had to do some talking, and we kind of met in the middle. So they addressed a lot of the key issues that our members had. So so we brought it back to a vote uh, yesterday, and it passed uh, passed both the master and the local, both uh, in South Bend and in Green Island. So, good, good. I, you know, we And the members are happy. With it. Is there a percentage that it passed by, it or you don't want to give that out this time? Uh, it it, uh, it was a close vote. It, it passed by, uh, the master passed by 47 votes, and the local passed by 48, I believe. It was, it was a close vote, though, almost a split vote. Um, mm-hmm. Green Island was a little different. Theirs was... Uh, the master, I believe, there was only two people who voted no, and uh, three people who voted no on the local. So, uh, no, we got we got mixed feelings on it. Uh, you know, we're still taking concessions. The insurance is uh, uh, pretty spendy. You know, high high premium, high deductible, and, and a lot of the stuff that we had that in, under the contract that we got locked out, uh, we're stripped away. So, yeah, it's uh, it's getting us back to work. But it's a long ways from where we were when we got locked out. Right, right. Well, you know, for those listeners that might not have ever sat in on a negotiating process, you know, both sides start uh, in their far end corner, and ideally you meet somewhere that's fair in the middle. Uh, that's why when you set out, you always set out more than what you're going to 
wind up getting. And uh, Correct. You know, it's you know that's it's part of the negotiating process, and uh, it sounds to me like you got about eighty percent from what you said uh, of you know what you were going after right right out of the chute. Uh, and, well, and you, well, that's pretty good, you know. I, well, I don't know if I'd say that. I, you know, we got eighty percent of our, our few key issues that our members really stuck up on. Um, from November's vote, uh, mm-hmm. I mean they—they, they, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, they—they they pretty much redlined our whole contract that we had that we got locked out under. So basically, right. we were starting with a fresh contract. I mean, not even really a contract. Um, you know, like you said, normally you start with, hey, here's the contract we had. They're trying to get concessions, and and we meet in the middle. Um, basically, we had a contract. They locked us out and. We kind of started with their uh, their rule book, I guess. Uh, work rule book is kind of what we were calling it because it, it really wasn't much of a contract. Uh, we did get them to move off of it in November, uh, actually September, October, November, before we took a vote. They moved on a few things. And then, again, they, they moved on. And, like I said, those key issues that, you know, that our members were kind of hung up on. Um, so, yeah, we, we got right. some of what we wanted. You know, of course, you always want a little more, but yeah, it's it was a tough pill to swallow being out that long and only having to move the little bit that they moved. Right, right. I, you know, you know, all of our, you know, thoughts and prayers have been with you, you know, since we found out, you know, a little after you guys went out, and it's uh, it's been a tough, tough time for you, and and we have a lot of empathy for you. Uh, it's. It's never you never get everything you want, but right. given that the members have been out almost a year, I counted today, and 292 days is a long time to be out. Yeah, you know, with little little to nothing coming in, you know, the strike strike money and stuff like that, and some help from the community. But uh, you know, it's just it's always tough, and the leadership that you and your team at your local union and over at Green Island. 1508 have demonstrated is extraordinary, Todd. I just want to extend that from our team to you, uh, you know, our on-air and our off-air team, because we've been watching, and you know, it's we know it's been tough for you. We just know it, and it's never yeah. tough when out out in the street, and you got members and their families are struggling, and kids that are getting sick, and maybe long-term, you know, disabilities out there, and things like that that some of these families are trying to pay for and you know it's just it's just tough it's a tough spot to be in and uh yeah you know, guys did a really good job of, of managing this to the best possible outcome you know i mean nothing's perfect but you know we really congratulate yeah. you on what you can you know yeah. so yeah yeah thank you and you know in, in this last round of negotiations we we're at the federal mediator's office so and you know uh, Jamie Johnson and, and Brian Rogers and myself, and we were meeting with uh, Honeywell's uh, local negotiator for the local, and uh, we had a little issue, and, and she she didn't want to. She said, I, "I'm not going there." And I said, "Well, you know, flat out, I just told her. I said, hey, these are the me- issues from our members. And I said, if you want a ratified contract, you're gonna have to move on it, or, or we're just gonna it's gonna be a no vote. I'm telling you right now." So. She took advice and, and she moved on it. So, you know, it, it took, kind of showed a little bit of willingness from my Honeywell, knowing that you know we've been out that long and, and maybe maybe they're starting to hurt a little bit too with not getting enough product out. So, you know, that could be one of the reasons they started to move our way. But yeah, I mean, it was actually kind of nice when we went in there. And, you know, we had our stuff laid out and, and they just kind of said, okay, we'll we'll move on that, we'll move on that. But you know, ten months down the road, like you said, it's it's put a hurting on a lot of people. You know, it's a, that's right. a long time to be a long time to be without work. Right. So, well, there are probably we're, some we're other glad forces. To be going back. So, to, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad for you, and I'm glad for all your members. I'm hoping that there yeah. were some other forces that started to come into play on something like this. Uh, so, let me let me yeah. ask Jeff. He's got anything he'd like to ask you, Jeff? You got anything to ask Todd while he's here with us? Um, just one. Um, how do the 
issues around the retirees turned out, Todd. We know that the team um, vocals hurt them pretty bad. You mean you mean as far as our retirees retirees that we already have? Yes. Is that what you? Yeah. Um, yes. That yeah, that case is is still in court. Um, you know, as we know, they're trying to Honeywell has is trying to say that uh, you have insurance right. Retirees have insurance for the life of the contract, and and we're saying that it was negotiated as you know the person's the retiree's life. So. So that's a battle that still is in court. Okay, and that's 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 what I know on that. I, you know, of course now now and that was taken last last contract, 2011 contract. Uh, if you did not retire before the end of that contract, you know the date we got locked out, uh, you don't even have insurance. Retirees don't have insurance. So, so like for myself and people that are in there right now, uh, when we retire, we'll we'll be up to our, our they'll be up to us to, to find insurance. There'll be no company supplied insurance. Okay. I was just wondering. That's a lot of people's questions yeah. um, lately yeah. everywhere about retirees. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and like Thanks. I said, you know, Honeywell is is trying to to spin the word uh, for you know for life. So, you know, it lies in the judge's hand to, to decide what for life means. I mean. I don't know why you'd go and negotiate a contract and say, "I'm gonna, I want retirees to have health insurance for the life of the contract." I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But you'd think a judge would be able to see that. But I know there's been cases out there that that the judges ruled in favor of of the company on that. So, you know, we're we're still battling it though. I think it's been going on a few years now. So, all right, thank you. Right. Uh, anything else, Jeff? No, I was just concerned about the retirees. Yeah. Um, yep. As, as so. we all are. I I will yeah, add this, Todd, so that you you know, um, you may or may not know, I was involved in the General Motors healthcare. Uh, actually, they got they filed for joinder at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, so I was actually involved in all three in the end, of Ford and Chrysler uh, as well. Uh, they settled that at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. But then, subsequent to that, in 2010, a, in the same uh, Eastern District Court, Federal District Court, uh, a, a Judge Cubbins uh, ruled on another issue, another case, regarding very nearly the same thing, uh, and it was for case implements that cha- changed their name three times uh, to try and avoid uh, all of this. But they eventually were brought to bear in the, for whatever reason, in the uh, the Michigan District Court because they had had some experience with that, I guess. And uh, that judge ruled that health care is vested and no company can take away such a vested benefit unless each and every member consents to it. If one Hmm. member does not, then they can't do that. So you might want to relay that to your people that are involved with that. I have the court case and the decision at my disposal for them if they need it. So, um, so you know, uh, uh, and that's a split decision in the court, Federal District Court of the Southeastern District of Michigan at this time because we have one judge ruling one way and another judge ruling the other way. So uh, right. that is yet addressed, and if we ascend to leadership, we'll take a look at that. Uh, having said that, uh, let me bring on David and see if he has anything that he'd like to ask you, Todd. Yeah, just one thing, Todd. Um, how fast to return to work, and how many um, workers will return? All of them, or will they um, bring people back in seniority order? Um, well, we actually have because uh, cause we did have people that went out and took took some part time jobs and things like that. Um, we we have been working on return to work language, and I know we got some members that want to return right away, so we have a. Uh, 
I'll return to work day of March 13th would be the earliest. Then we also have uh, March 27th, or actually as far out as April 10th. So there'll be a few different return to work days depending on what day the people want to choose, our members want to choose, and and it'll just be, you know, we they're going to get some information out. Uh, I think they're going to mail it tomorrow. Honeywell is. Um, there'll be an email address that we'll have to email their information into Honeywell, and, and then they'll get contact and say, okay, hey, this is the date you start. Here's where you're going to have to meet. And uh, they're going to have to do a little onboarding with some, some training uh, that we haven't received over the last, you know, 10 months because we've been out. So be some safety training and stuff like that, and then uh, then we'll be back in there uh, building brakes again. Awesome. And, and yeah, and as far as how many is going to return, uh, I know we've had probably a dozen that have actually – sent letters of resignation in through those 10 months that won't be returning, obviously. Uh, and I don't know beyond those dozen that how many are going to come back. It, it's, you know, it's a pretty decent job market in South Bend right now if, if you don't want to return and if you found something better. So I'd imagine we'll probably lose, you know, 30 or 40 people probably. Wish them the best of luck. Yeah. Thank you. Right, absolutely, Todd. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners or your members that might be listening? Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to really like to thank uh, you know the South Bend community, Local Five here in South Bend, uh, Local Five Fifty One, Auto Workers Caravan. You know, you Leroy, you know, second time I've been on, um, and anybody else that that has helped throughout this. I know, I know, I'm forgetting people that. Uh, have helped and, and supported us with donations or, or letters to us uh, showing their support and solidarity for us. Uh, it's just been great, the, the community support we received. So i just like to put a big thanks out to everybody that's been there for us. You're, you're welcome, Todd. And, and it's, uh, I, you know, I oftentimes am the spokesperson, but there's a whole team of us on air. And yes, off yes. Many off yeah. air that you yeah, know. Yeah, definitely. So. De- <laughs> yeah, definitely your whole definitely your whole team, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh so thank yeah. you. Uh and on behalf of them, thanks uh for everything that you've done and the, the the leadership that you've demonstrated. I hope that our friendship continues and from time to time. Uh if you want to come on the show just to update us on how things are going at your facility and your local union, we'd be happy to have you. Yeah, that that'd be that'd be great. I hope it continues that way as well. Yeah, okay. Well, if that if unless you have anything else, we'll just uh wrap this segment up and uh get on with uh David's report if uh let you get back to your family on a Sunday night. Thank you, Todd, for coming oh. on the show. All right, hey, thanks for giving me a reminder. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'll, 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 I'll be talking I'll be talking with you. All right, yeah, all right, thank you. Is there something else? All right, bye. Yeah, one more okay. thing. Um uh, even if you don't have something, if, even if you don't have something to report, come back and join us on okay. the show anytime. Yes, definitely, I, I will do that. Take care, Tom. All right, thank you. Take, thank you, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers. That was Todd Treader from Local Union Nine, representing the Honeywell plant in South Bend, Indiana, and they just finished up a tremendous bargaining session where they have now secured an agreement, and the lockout will be discontinued by the Honeywell Corporation so they may return to work. That's great news for a lot of people. Thank you, Todd, and your whole team. And for, for the Green Island people over at 15, Local Union 1508 in New York, the state of New York, uh, in Green Island, New York is the name of the town. Uh, congratulations to both of those local unions, and thanks for coming on the show, Todd. Uh, we'll we'll uh, back in mute, and thanks, and we'll get on with the show. Okay, D- how about that? Any any further comment on that, David or Jeff? Yes. That's good, um, good news. Good news. D- David first, ahead, how about that? Jeff, Jeff first. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I'm just good news for a lot of our UAW brothers and sisters in my plant did not know of Honeywell being locked out. So I educated a few of them on Friday night. So it's all good news. Yes, it is. 
Yeah, it's kind of sad that everybody in the UAW wasn't aware of this. I mean, the leadership and elected officials should have all been notified in, in some measure that this was going on. And I find fault with the International Executive Board for not making sure that each and every elected official and and member, you know, but it was certainly the elected official should have known about this uh, ongoing lockout by Honeywell of our members so that they could support this even more as it was occurring. And it sounds like they might still need a little support, so don't give up, folks. The addresses are posted, and maybe we'll bump those up to the top uh, on our page, the Working for a Living page, so that you can see them again. Or maybe we'll just repost them again. This is this is over, but I believe they're still going to, you know, there's some people still recovering there, and the paycheck uh, is some of them maybe six weeks away from the sounds of it. So uh, just uh, don't give up on them down there because they still need a little support. And uh, I know one of our leadership team was influential in uh, getting, uh, I think, $1,000. Uh, we're it's unclear if it went 500 and 500 to the local unions or not there, but uh, we were pleased to hear that from one of our leadership uh, team. So uh, don't, don't give up on them because they still need some help and support to get through the next month and a half or so. So... David, do you have more on that? Yep. Um, this might be a little bit strong, but this is it. Um, one thing that this issue at Honeywell has um, drawn to our attention is Straub Engineering. Um, we have our eye on you. We understand what you do now, and we're not going to forget this. And for those that work for that corporation, you know what you do for a living. You're the lowest form of scum on the face of this earth to do what you've done. You need to find another job. So I have to say, Lyra. I'm quite sure we can find a way to make their life difficult up there in Minnesota. We'll just keep a keep a watch on them for now. Um, this this mop flops both ways. For those of you in the pendulum business, and it might be over on your side of that clock right now, way over on the far, far, far right side, but it's going to come back. It will come back, and y'all better start rethinking your strategies. Anyhow. Uh, David, you want to start with your report tonight? Sure do. Um, my report revolves around um, the history of uh, some uh, labor issues. Um, while Bob White was uh, the Canadian director of the United Auto Workers, during this period of time I was a very young man, so it's bittersweet for me to report this. Um took place in 1984, um, late October. Um, Bob White took uh, his members out on a 12-day strike. 36,500 General Motors Canada um, employees. Um, only a few weeks earlier, um, here in the States, 350,000 American GM workers settled a contract agreement. You heard that number correct, 350,000 GM workers alone. Uh, The contract that we agreed to um, was seen by Bob White as another step in the direction of joint union um, cooperation. Um, When he walked out, on his 12-day strike, um, that forced the layoff 40,000 um, workers here in the United States. Um, here is a description of uh, the uh, agreements. One of the sticking points for the Canadian um, auto workers and Bob White 
was that he didn't put any faith into profit sharing. And they didn't believe in lump sum payments. Here not. The United States, this is what we accepted. Um, the three-year agreement provided for a base rate increase of 15 cents to a total of $12.82 at the end of the three-year agreement. The rest of the increases um, amounted to lump sum payments, a profit-sharing program that all three of us know never paid out to any of us, and cost-of-living allowances. In addition, GM also established a $1 billion job bank. This job bank was to um, retrain employees who were laid off due to subcontracting, automation, and productivity gains. Um, the jobs bank was problematic in some ways and helpful in others. Um, to me, um, it did save me from layoff a couple of times. Um, the retraining portion of it, there was a program in the very beginning called OJT where our members were allowed to go out and take a job from a local business or a contractor. I ended up at a painting firm called Teal Hart. I accepted their base rate that they paid me, and then General Motors made up the difference in my pay to 40 hours. Sometimes I would uh, be on prevailing wage jobs. Um, one of the other downfalls to uh, the job bank, job bank employees weren't supposed to be used on traditional jobs. We were to backfill for sick leaves. Um, people who were on special assignment or um, sick leaves stuff of that nature. What our local began to do was abuse the job bank. We would have people who retired, people who transferred to another job somewhere else. Job banker comes off the street, he doesn't know what's going on on the platform. The other workers didn't tell you. You didn't know you were on a traditional job. Um, in the job bank, you weren't entitled to subcredits. You weren't entitled to shift preferencing or vacations. In the event that you could prove that you were on a traditional job, they had to pay you what they owed you in subcredits. And that was like pulling teeth out of a rhinoceros because you were fighting with the company and your jobs being coordinated. So that's some of the downfalls. Now, the Canadian... Um, agreement that Bob White wanted, um, and he got it. Um, his three-year agreement provided for base rate increase averaging $2.25 per hour. In addition, the workers received $0.25 cents per hour that was put into the cost of living well, during the first year, $0.25 cents in the second year, 24 cents per hour in the third year of the agreement. Um, at the end of the agreement, three years, that brought them to a dollar fifty-eight that would be folded into their base rate, and that left them at fifteen dollars and fifty-nine cents at the end of the contract. They also received additional improvements in income security plans and insurance coverage. What they didn't receive, they, they didn't get into the jobs bank. Um, they didn't receive that portion of, it, of the agreement. Um, Bob White um, believed in traditional bargaining, and he believed that on the American side of the border, we were um, stepping too close into cooperation with the corporations. I agree with that to this day. Um, the other side of this, this issue um, was the split. Um, December of uh, 1984, Bob Boyd um, began to express his displeasure at basically Owen Beaver 
for hindering their strike. And the way he basically done that was he was threatening to withhold the strike fund from Bob White and his members in an attempt to strong arm them to accept the same agreement that we had to accept. And in uh, 1986, uh, our members went to the convention in California, and we approved at that convention um, the equivalent of $29 million in cash, $2.5 million in real estate, and mortgages to be transferred to the Canadian auto workers. Um, about a week later, um, in June of the same year, Canadian auto workers held a convention and they approved the pact, 318 to 1. Um, it was estimated that after the split, it cost the UAW $15 million a year in Canadian dues. Um, that left the UAW, UAW membership at its lowest point in 25 years. Um, so that's quite a loss. At the time, um, the Canadian Union represented 107 locals. Uh, one small Canadian local did decide to remain with the UAW. And also the groups agreed that they now raid each other's unions for membership or jobs. Um, also, the UAW didn't want um, Canadian workers to use the UAW, so they adopted Canadian auto workers, CAW. Um, so that's... Uh, a little bit of history of how that took place and what um, what they received and what we lost. And the backside, another backside to this, um, there were many phone conversations between Owen Bieber and uh, Bob White when they were there in bargaining. And Bob, you really put one on to uh, Owen, and I'd have to say he deserved it. All of his telephone calls, or a good share of them, were broadcast to the Canadian public via the airwaves so that they heard everything that Owen Beaver was doing behind everybody's back. He didn't get away with it. Um, since Owen Beaver presidents in the United Auto Workers Union, Ruther Caucus presidents, have progressively gotten worse. Every one of them, right down to the current president, Dennis Williams. We have multiple tiers of pay. We have members with no, no pensions. They have poor education from the union that showed in our vote for the President of the United States. Um, I'd have to say to this day, give me a Bob White any day over what we currently have today. So, that's my report on um, Bob White. And uh, I still hold... I hold true to the values he had. Traditional bargaining, cost of living, AIF. And one of the things that he said, if you want to give us money, put it in our paychecks. So that's all I have on that, Leroy. If you want to add something or Jeff does. Yeah, let me let me ask Jeff first. Jeff, you got anything to add to David's report about the now passing of Brother Bob White, uh, former president's Canadian auto workers. Uh, you got any, anything to add to that? No, I didn't even know of Bob White until yesterday. Um, it sounds like he was a very strong unionist and did the right things for his people, unlike our current leadership or past leadership. You know, so... 
my hat's off to him. You know, you know, he will be missed by everybody. You know, I wish there was more leaders like him. There's a couple of other things that I would like to add to. Um, he was uh, elected to um, the CAW presidency at their convention in 85, again in 88, and for the last time in 91. Um, our members commemorated um, the passing of uh, Bob White. To my knowledge, I have not seen the UAW here in the United States pay tribute to Bob White. Whether or not they did behind the scenes, um, our members weren't made privileged to that. Well, they certainly didn't do anything in public that that's notable, and I think it's a travesty that they didn't do that because this is a good man, once a very strong leader in the UAW itself, and then later, as it split off, strong leader for the membership in Canada. Uh, and so, you know, when we don't remember people like him, we do all the members a disservice because just hearing the history members and the listeners that are out there tonight, just hearing the history of a real unionist that went out there and tried to do the very best for his members in every way he possibly could, including including hooking up with a radio show and having a conversation broadcast throughout Canada. Owen Bieber saying what he was saying, and it, quite frankly... I'm a little privileged to uh, some of the uh, remembrances of that. And uh, without going into a lot of detail, it was pretty colorful language. Uh, so it's uh, not a, uh, you know, this wasn't somebody you want to mess with too much because he, he, even though we didn't have the digital world we have today, he had ways of using the technology that was available to him to advance the the, the, the uh, benefit of his membership, so uh, even against other union leaders who weren't doing their job. So, and that's been going on for a while. And we'll have more on that, uh, brothers and sisters, or sisters and brothers and and listeners, uh, because um, we've got some things that we'd like to discuss with you. About, oh, I don't know, a little while from now, but it's going to be kind of cool, so stay tuned. You don't want to miss that show. It's not going to be right away, but it it is forthcoming, and it is very, very, very interesting stuff that uh, the legacy legacy of Bob White sort of parallels what we'll bring out in the future. Uh, And... It's it's not good. There are union leaders that have not done their job as a union leader. And thank you, Brother David Fillion, for remembering and honoring Brother Bob White uh, because he, he was a true union leader of the highest caliber. He's a part of my youth. We'll, we'll miss him. Yes, we'll miss him a lot. Uh, and I... You know, our condolences go to his family and friends, and uh, we wish you the best in your time of challenge as he has passed on. So having said that, um, uh, I think I'll abate my report. We're right at an hour tonight. We did have Todd in and and talk to us, so I'll I'll catch that one next week about uh, a little article that was out there, and it's kind of interesting, and uh, we don't want to go long. We kind of promised some folks we'll keep it right at an hour. So uh, I'll, I'll catch that same report next week if that's all right with everybody. It's not particularly important. But we uh, we do want to make sure that we inform the membership and and the listeners about that article that was posted here last week. 
Uh, having said that, uh, Jeff, do you have anything else to talk about this evening that you'd like to get out? I just have one question that uh, a good friend of mine asked me on Facebook. She wants to know any anything about the 15, $15 million retired workers fund at the UAW. Have you heard anything about that, Leroy? Because I have not heard or seen anything about that. The 15 million retired UAW workers. $15 million retired workers fund. Yeah, UAW retired workers fund. Right. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. They went through similar to the VEBA with General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. They have their own situation now. This is for the staff people. And they, I believe, had a court decision. I'd have to go back and research it, uh, but it did come out, I believe, favorable to them. And there was a settlement uh, that the UAW has to fund this uh, to a higher degree than it's being funded at at this point. Uh, It was allowed... uh, uh, to get pretty low, and there was some court action to bring it up to uh, where it needs to be. And the agreement is, I forget the exact numbers, but I think they're going to wind up with somewhere near $40 million, uh, that they have to pay, the UAW has to pay into the retirement fund for the staff members that retire. Uh, as uh, maybe some of the folks don't know, uh, when you go on staff, whether just pulled off of the street, as some people are now being uh, afforded, uh, or through to the ranks of leadership and put on to the UAW international staff. And you'll see this sometimes in the attorneys area because they're UAW staff members as well with their own pay rate. Uh, when you retire, you get a greater retirement than you would have gotten at one of the at the facility that you left. In particular, if you're a, a Ford, uh, GM, Chrysler, or uh, IPS or t- a Tops person, t- technical office and professionals, IPS is uh, uh, independent parts suppliers. If you came from staff from any one of those, you still get a full UAW pension, and they carve out your uh, other pension that you may get from your, uh, let's say, GM or Ford, uh, you would get a pension from them, uh, from Ford, for example, and that would be carved out of the UAW pension. Uh, so they get a higher pension than us. They, yes, they get two checks, but it's not like it's they're getting they're double dipping. They just get a higher pension and they carve one out of it. Uh, so it does come, and let's just. I, and I don't. Even, I shouldn't even say any numbers because I don't know them. Uh, you know, let, let's say you were drawn Social Security, and they carve out, you know, your pension out of Social Security if you're a GM, Ford, or Chrysler worker. Well, they do the same thing, in or they carve out the, the pen, Social Security out of your pension. I'm sorry. Uh, they do the same thing at a higher level with the UAW pension and then they carve out the GM pension or the Ford or the Chrysler pension or the Michigan State pension or whatever, uh, State of Michigan pension or whatever you might be getting uh, in any any regard. So um, that pension fund became underfunded, and they went, and now it's, it has to be brought up to, to uh, a, a agreed standard. So, And I'd have to go back and research, Jeff. That's, that's the... Okay. The answer that I can give you right now off the top of my head. Okay? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. No problem. Uh, David, do you have anything? Nope. I'm definitely right. Okay. You're welcome. Uh, well, with that, uh, we'll just close the show tonight. And thanks, uh, sisters and brothers and ladies and gentlemen, listeners, uh, for listening in this evening. We hope you found this show valuable. If you did find value in it, please tell just one more person. I want to thank all of the listeners uh, around the local unions in the United States uh, and the local unions in Canada 
those friends in the Mexico area that are yet to be organized, but maybe someday, who knows. Uh, and around the world, we have listeners in virtually every continent on the planet. So everybody needs to get <laughs> really get a grip on that. This is this is uh, growing exponentially, and we're happy to report that uh, we we do have listeners in every continent. I checked the other day, uh, and we have every continent in the United States or in the world. Uh, somebody's listening to us, and uh, thank you all for for checking us out either live tonight or by podcast later in the week. And as you know, you can go back and listen to any other show in the history, you know, in the archives. Uh, I would recommend July 31st show. That's an interesting show, and I would recommend that you listen to it. It tells you a little bit about what's going on with the United States in the last 30, uh, would be 35 years, uh, and why we're in this, the situation that we're in. You should probably listen to that. It's really eye-opening for you. Uh, having said that, I want to say good night to Brother David and Brother Jeff, and uh, good night to the listeners. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night.